miracle of her birth and of her life was so precious. She seemed so fragile. I just naturally found myself wanting to do anything I could to protect her, to make sure she was safe. Any of you have that experience? Given the but it didn't last long. Pretty soon, I was back to my old familiar ways of zipping along above the speed limit, driving more offensively than defensively, more concerned with getting where I was going than I was with living in the wonder at the preciousness of life. 25 years later, I started driving more carefully again. Part of the impetus has been another new addition to our household, a new, or actually a used, plug-in Prius. It goes 11 or 12 miles on electric with regular driving, but if you drive really carefully, not worrying about getting up to full speed immediately, not worrying about the drivers behind you too much, and treating speed limits as maximums rather than minimums, you can get 15, maybe 20 miles on electric, which is enough to go a lot of places, at least where I live. And of course, the other reason I'm driving really carefully is my that my understanding of what is happening to our world, to our planet, has shifted ever since, even since we got this car just over a year ago. I've stopped seeing it as climate change, something I've known for a while is happening, to seeing it as the climate crisis, a more immediate existential threat to life on the planet. It's not just about warmer summers and melting glaciers and stranded polar bears anymore, as if it ever was. It's about homes being destroyed and lives being uprooted. It's about whole populations migrating. It's about children dying. And it's about the ever-increasing likelihood of catastrophic disruption to the world that my daughter and her sister are growing up in. So I've started driving really carefully again, just like I did 25 years ago, when I was so keenly aware of the preciousness and the fragileness of life that I wanted to do anything I could protect it. Now, an interesting thing happened after I preached a sermon a few months ago. It was a sermon about making the connections between humans and the earth and about the interconnectedness of existence. And of course, I brought up the climate crisis and what we need to do about it. Afterwards, someone came up to me and asked me if I drive an electric car. I'm kind of proud of my plug-in Prius. I said, yes. But then she asked what kind it was. And what I said is a plug-in Prius. She pointed out, that's not really an electric car. It's a hybrid. It's half gas. It's half electric. You talk a good game, but you're not practicing what you preach, was essentially her comment. I was a bit twerked about this, as you can imagine. And I told my wife about it. And she thought about it for a few days. And then she suggested, well, maybe we should just get an electric car when we can. Even better, of course, we should start driving less and certainly stop, start flying less. If we're serious about the climate crisis and the existential threat it poses, maybe half measures like getting a hybrid and driving really carefully really aren't enough. Existential threats call for more than half measures. They call for radical actions, actions that take seriously both the depth of the crisis and the preciousness and the fragility of life. And I wonder if that isn't true in other areas of our public life together. As I've thought more about it, I've realized that the climate crisis is not the only existential threat out there. For people dealing with the loss of a job or living on the edge financially, poverty and income inequality are not just concepts. They're very real threats to your survival, especially when faced with serious illness or other conditions. 
for those fleeing violence or drought or extreme poverty in other countries. Seeking asylum or refugee status is not just an immigration issue, it's a matter of life and death. For women and trans people and those with black and brown skin, treatment at the hands of those with power is not just a matter of women's rights or LGBTQ rights or civil rights, it's a matter of being able to breathe or not breathe, to live or not live. For children and teachers in our country, in our schools, practicing active shooter drills, gun violence is not just a political issue, it's an existential threat of the very personal kind. And when I say existential threats such as these call for radical action, I don't necessarily mean more extreme action. I think extremism can be a threat in itself. On the other hand, we do need to take decisive action. Surely the time for dithering inaction has passed. And many of the proposals currently considered extreme by opponents, like the Green New Deal, or here in Illinois, the Clean Energy Jobs Act, or the Fair Tax, or abolishing ICE, or even, God forbid, registering firearms, any of these extreme proposals would likely have far less life-threatening impacts on people than our current policies do. But that's not what I'm here to talk about today. The kind of radical action I'm talking about is deeper and more far-reaching than any of those political proposals. I mean radical action in the root meaning of the word core, uh, the core meaning of that word radical, which has to do with roots. Radical action is action that, that addresses the roots of what's going on. I've read a number of books and articles in the last couple of years, particularly one called Daring Democracy by Adam Eichen and Francis Morlapay. These books and articles suggest that the roots of our current crisis have to do with three things. A lack of meaning or purpose in people's lives in our collective life together. A lack of connection with each other. And a lack of agency, a sense of futility that we can do anything about the issues we face. Meaning, there's a certain nihilism, a lack of meaning underlying both our environmental and our economic crises. Without a deeper sense of purpose and meaning, life can just become about getting rich at the personal level or about endlessly expanding economic growth at the macro level. It's a failure of meaning to value money over everything else, to say that all that matters is economic growth and profit, and that it doesn't really matter what happens to people or the planet. There's a certain dearth of meaning in, in an existence which is simply about seeking material comfort for oneself and one's family. Eichen and LePay argue that many of us long for a deeper sense of meaning, to be part of a purpose greater than ourselves, to be part of the larger whole and the greater good. And then there's connection. There's an, un, un, and an undeniable alienation, a lack of connection underlying our immigration crisis as well as our crisis with mass incarceration. It takes a radical disconnection from other people as well as from one's own humanity to devote entire systems to making sure that other people don't share in the benefits we enjoy in this country as immigrants, or to devote entire systems to systematically locking people up in cages wholesale. Without a deeper sense of our fundamental connectedness, our interdependence, life can just become about protecting what we have from other people. But Eichen and LePay argue that we have a deep yearning to be connected and not simply exist as isolated beings in an impersonal society. 
We can be profoundly lonely people sometimes, can we not? Isolated in our separate lives rather than part of the larger community. And then agency. There's a deep sense of powerlessness, a profound lack of agency underlying our current political crisis. For many people, for many of us, there's a sense that there's really nothing we can do. There's everything that happens is beyond our control. A lot of people have come to the conclusion that nothing good can come out of politics. But I can pay define politics, politics as simply what we, the people, decide to do together. They argue that much of this sense of powerlessness is a result of a decades-long anti-democracy project, which has sought to denigrate politics and the democratic political process and to elevate the market and private enterprise above all else. Some of it is just the nature of life in a society in which what's happening is mean to take in what's on the news. Without a clear sense of how we can participate meaningfully in what's happening, it's easy to feel like there's nothing we can do, that we have no agency, even though we have a deep longing to make a difference with our lives. Radical action, then, would be action that addresses this lack of meaning, this lack of connection, this lack of agency, and not just their symptoms. I'd like to suggest that one of the most radical actions we can take is simply talking to other people, particularly people we don't know or already agree with, about what's important to us in our lives, in our public life together. Even more radical, of course, is simply listening to other people, to what they care about, and their stories about what they care about, and sharing with them what we care about and our stories, and then inviting them and us, ourselves to reflect together on possibilities for what our stories might mean in the context of our shared life together. Listening builds connection. As Margaret Wheatley says, real listening always brings people closer together. Listening addresses that deep need for connection that we all have to be heard, to be understood, to be gotten. The less heard we feel, the more we need to insist on our own point of view, and the less we are able to listen to or understand others, and ultimately the less empowered and effective we are. But listening connects us and opens up possibilities that just aren't there when we're not connected to each other. I've experienced this myself and seen it over and over again in congregations around the state. Listening deeply to someone about their stories and what they care about builds that sense of deep connection. Someone in Carbondale who experienced this just a couple weeks ago described, described it as beloved community between two people. Someone from Hinsdale remarked, one-to-one -one conversations joyously make an individual part of the whole. Radical action that addresses the roots of our current crisis might begin with listening to others in a way that grows connection finding out what's important to others and hearing what gives their lives meaning. Radical action might also be about finding and articulating our own sense of meaning and purpose in life and, and sharing that with others. We each have things we care about, things that are important to us, things that we value that give our lives meaning. Sharing that expands our sense of meaning. Sharing what we care about deepens our sense of caring and makes it possible for others to care about what we care about. And we might need to take some time to reflect on our sense of meaning and spend some time learning how to articulate that to others. 
We sang at the beginning of today's service, I've got joy like a fountain, I've got pain like an arrow, I've got love like an ocean. What are those for you in your life? Where do you find your joy? Where is your pain and heartbreak? What is it that you deeply love and care about? And what are your stories of joy and pain and love? Some of my stories are about finding joy in relationship ever since my days as a shy, lonely kid growing up in the suburbs of Minneapolis. Some of my stories of pain have been about disconnection and disempowerment, whether it was being bullied in school or watching people from my country or my culture bully people from other countries and other cultures. And so part of my love, part of my vision has to do with creating a sense of family wherever I go, growing communities of people connected and empowered to make a difference, to stop the bullying. Sharing our stories of joy and pain and love and listening to other stories of joy and pain and love, it can create a space where we can invite each other to reflect on what we care about and what that means in the context of our public life together. And that can be the most radical action of all, inviting people to consider what truly matters to them in their lives and to connect it to our shared life together. That kind of invitation can help create a sense of agency, of empowerment. Perhaps we can do something about the things that matter to us. There's actually a model out there about this very thing of deep listening, deep sharing, and deep invitation. It's called deep canvassing. It was developed by a gay man named Dave Fleischer in response to the passage of Proposition 8, banning gay marriage in California in 2008. He and others were flummoxed by that vote. They weren't expecting it at all. But rather than rushing into the next campaign, they decided to get curious about the people who had voted against them. They started going out and listening to people and asking provocative, open-ended questions, and then deepening those questions to elicit people's stories of the lived experience and then they shared their own stories and experiences, and then invited people to reflect on the stories and experiences they'd shared in relationship to their opinions. And over the course of 100,000 such conversations, they built a new consensus in California around love and marriage. That was part of what was behind the stories today. And the same model was used in Minnesota in the campaign for marriage equality there. Tens of thousands of one-to-one -one conversations transformed the political landscape in Minnesota just a few years ago. So we're exploring this kind of deep canvassing model with you, you, and I these days. We're exploring be the, being the kind of people who can listen to anyone, no matter where they're coming from, and develop a human connection that goes beyond our differences. Specifically, we're talking about going out and talking to our neighbors, listening to where they're coming from, their stories, their concerns, sharing our stories, our concerns, our visions for what's possible for the sake of making the world a better place for all of us. And we're talking about inviting people to reflect on, to consider what matters to them and how it might play out in our public life together. Maybe even how we might join together to take action on what's possible. Maybe convening meetings or forums at the congregations, seeking to foster communities in dialogue and action together. This is a next step beyond the one-to-one -one conversations among ourselves that I've promoted before and that I understand you're doing now in this congregation. And they're actually great preparation for deep canvassing. 
This is about moving beyond our comfort zones and taking that radical action of engaging our neighbors, people we may not know or agree with, for the sake of transforming what politics looks like, what democracy looks like on a very local scale. It's about listening, and it's also about promoting values. And it's about potentially facilitating changing people's hearts and minds and being open to having our own minds and hearts changed. This is what radical action can look like, action that comes from someplace deeper than our surface level concerns about comfort, action that addresses our deepest values and our highest aspirations, and not just the transactional options of conventional politics. These conversations may or may not lead to a conversation about voting. UUA President Susan Frederick Gray has challenged us to UU the vote this next year and to reach into our communities and register half a million voters. And this is certainly worthwhile and worth doing. But I'm wondering if registering voters, just registering voters, might be one of those half measures, necessary but not sufficient. Because mobilizing people who already agree with us, or perhaps mobilizing those who don't, beyond that, we need to create a, the political will to act, to take those decisive measures about the urgent crises that face us. I believe political is, will is created through conversation, conversations that build connection and meaning and agency. If politics is what we, the people, decide to do together, we can't do anything together if we're not talking to each other. I'd like to suggest that such conversations are the essence of what our fifth UU principle of affirming the democratic process is all about. You could start with talking to your neighbors right around the building, perhaps adopting a local precinct or two, taking the time to develop relationships that deepen connection, that share meaning, that open up the possibility of something new. It undoubtedly will take training to do this well, and I'm getting trained myself in it this next month. We will need to take time to get trained before we attempt to do deep canvassing. But as, some, as someone in Southern Illinois pointed out, the civil rights activists in the 1960s did extensive training before they attempted radical actions like sit-ins. That kind of radical action transformed the political landscape then. Deep canvassing is a kind of radical action that has already begun transforming the political landscape in the 21st century. Existential crises call for radical action. Of all the crises we face, of course, death is the ultimate existential threat, one that each of us ultimately faces. We can't expect to get out of this life alive. As Audre Lorde's Litany for Bible says, we were never meant to survive. And so we are called to take radical action, to speak when we would rather not speak, to listen when we would rather not listen. Life is precious and sometimes fragile. Love is precious and sometimes fragile. Given the existential threats facing us, Surely they're worth taking radical action for, are they not? For a closing song, I will lead you in a new song by Melanie Damore, who uh, wrote this a couple of years ago. It's a, a very simple call and response song. I'll sing it through once and have you sing it back to me and then there'll be a call response part in the middle. Please rise as you are able and body your spirit.
You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. What put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Don't give up hope. Don't give up hope. You're not alone. Don't you give up. Keep moving on. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Lift up your eyes. Don't you despair. Look up, Look up ahead. The path is there. The path is there. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. I know you're scared. I know you're scared. And, I'm scared too. and I'm scared too. But here I am. Right next to you. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. You gotta put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Put one foot in front of the other and lead with love. Good. Very good for the first time through. So I don't know how to extinguish the chalice, so I'd like to invite someone to come up and extinguish the chalice. And then I'll read our benediction and we'll sing our closing blessing. As a congregation that welcomes many of our ways of being in the world, I invite you, if you'd rather not be touched by others, to place your crossed hands on your shoulders or reach out and join your hands to those near you. We now extinguish our chalice, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community, or the fire of commitment. These we carry with us until we are together again. Closing benediction from Monica Cummings. Let each of us commit to welcoming the stranger. Let us move beyond our comfort zones and connect with people on the edges of society, on the edges of our lives. We can make a difference. We can transform lives. We can bring harmony and healing to the places and spaces where we live, work, and play. Let us keep our hearts and minds open and receptive and lead the way on the journey toward wholeness. Blessed be. Amen. <laughs>